you begin to run off of passion and passion is good, but passion doesn't always just get you all the way through. And so you have to be like so deeply rooted in your why. And I mean, deeply rooted in your why so that when you're ready to give up 15 times in the same day, that you remember why you started this. And so for me, when I'm ready to throw my hands up in the air and I'm ready to quit, I, I literally wrote a resignation letter to myself one time. I was like, I quit, but I don't even know who I quit to. Hello, all you damn good people out there. My name is Nick Lapara, and welcome to another episode of the Let's Give a Damn podcast, where we believe the most fulfilled life is one lived on purpose, a life full of giving dams. I'm super pumped about a partnership I'm starting here on the show over the next few weeks with my incredible friends over at Scout Books. You'll hear more about this in just a few minutes. My guest today, friends, is fantastic. I truly enjoyed my conversation with Amber Runyon. Amber is the founder of 11th Candle Co., a social enterprise company that does so much good in the world. She also started and runs Legacy, a nonprofit working globally to redeem, restore, empower, and equip those who are vulnerable to human trafficking, abuse, exploitation, and addiction. She, like so many guests I bring on this show, has a heart of pure gold. And toward the end of our conversation, she shares fantastic advice that I implore you to pay close and careful attention to. One of my favorite things about Amber's story is that she chose to help women in Ethiopia, but she also helps women right in her own backyard, Columbus, Ohio. You'll hear her thought process as to why she does that, and you'll also hear the why behind the work she does in both places during our conversation. So without further ado, Let's get right into my conversation with the co-founder of 11th Candle Co. and Legacy, Amber Runyon. It is my pleasure to welcome Amber Runyon to the Let's Give a Damn podcast. Amber, welcome. Hey, Nick. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for being here. What the audience does not know is that we tried to do this in person a month ago. Um, I had a pretty intense health scare the day that we were supposed to do it. You were actually going to come into town just, I mean, you were going to hang out with some friends or whatever, but you uh, said that you'd come into town just to do this, which was huge. Like I was blown away that you would even offer to do that. But here we are, we are not doing it in person. We're doing it virtually, but we're doing it. And I'm so excited to hear more of your story and share some of the work that you have done and are doing and will do. So thank you again for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. Cool. So let's get going with your story. Let's start there. I always, pretty much always begin the podcasts trying to pull out some story, some of the elements of your life, anything that will give us, yeah, just some peeks into who, why you are the way that you are today and um, why you became and why you're doing the things that you're doing. So go back as far as you want to, Amber, but give us some insight into the people, the places, the things. Tell us all about your life so that we can get a picture into, yeah, what are the things that made who you are today? Yeah, so uh, I kind of get a little interesting life um, in that I grew up in the foster care system, you know, kind of from my middle school age and up, then became a nurse, which is statistically uh, pretty impossible, <laughs> um, but was able to, to make my way through high school and make my way through um, nursing school. And 
um, that kind of led me overseas to do a bunch of medical mission trips um, through different countries in Africa and Honduras and, and Haiti, um, which just kind of really radically changed my view on like, what is the world and how do we actually love people? Um, and one of those trips landed me over in Ethiopia where I fell in love with a little girl um, and and just kept going back to see her and and recognize that her community had it, all these different issues and, and things. And that if I wasn't going to be able to adopt her, um, even though I had tried, um, that I knew that I needed to create a better life for her and her community, um, which kind of led me to just continuing to go back. Um, and then one day we were in our village and, uh, driving around and I watched two little girls that were about probably five and seven. They were blindfolded and being led through the village area. And I asked my translator, Hey, like what's, what's, what's happening? And he said, uh, they're being sold. And I said, I'm sorry, what? And he said, they're what? <laughs> right. I said, I, that clearly has not been translated correctly. Well, what? And he said, they're being sold. And I said, I, I don't understand what you're saying to me. He said, they're being sold for sex. They're blindfolded so they can't figure out where they're going. And I said, uh, uh, oh. Um, and I, Mulu was in the car with me that day. And I remember thinking like, okay, this, this is her reality. Like what is going on? And I, at that point, I never really heard of sex trafficking or human trafficking or, um, and it can just completely wrecked me. I thought like, this can't be possible. These two little girls cannot be for sale. Like that's, that's literally impossible. Um, and I came back to Ohio and, and did some research when I got back here about what is Columbus, Ohio's biggest social issues. And it's human trafficking is the fourth largest we're the fourth largest in the United States, Ohio is. So I recognize that if she came back to Columbus, that she had the same likelihood of being trafficked here as she does there. I just decided I didn't want to live in a world where little girls and little boys can be bought and sold. Um, and so that's kind of how I got into to human trafficking. Wow, 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 wow. Okay, so there's a lot there. Right at the beginning of your story, you said that you entered the foster system when you were, uh, what age did you say? Uh, went in at 10 and then back out and then back in at 12. It was kind of like an in and out situation. Um, but then kind of finished up the rest of my, most of my years in foster care. Are you willing to share kind of why you were in the foster system? Like what was the, what was the environment you were living in or what were the, the circumstances surrounding that? Yeah. So I had a, a, a stepfather who was uh, sexually abusive and then a mother who was addicted to drugs and also physically abusive. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you got out of that, I mean, it's obviously the, the the dream is that every kid gets to stay with their parents, but not in a situation like that. So I'm glad you got out. And you also mentioned that it's statistically very unlikely that you would become a nurse out of that situation. I, uh, you were probably alluding to just having a successful career, right? That you would get out, that yeah. you would actually be successful at something like that. So how, how did how did that actually happen then? What were, were there people or situations involved or was it just your like grit and willpower to not live the same life that you kind of grew up in? Yeah, a lot of it was my grit and willpower. I think I think that, you know, you're kind of born with this with this kind of tenacity and resiliency that that not everybody has. And somehow I was just kind of born with this ability that like I was determined that I was going to make something out of my life. Um, and so I was lucky enough to have a have a teacher that really kind of stuck up for me and helped me be able to graduate um, or I would not have been able to graduate. And um, in, in foster care system, when you're older, you kind of live in a lot of group homes. And so there wasn't necessarily like a like a solid foundation um, but yeah, it was, it was really interesting to, to kind of see that I kind of just always had that inside of me that like, I was going to make it out of this. I was going to make it out of this, but statistically 50% of the 50% uh, of kids that are in foster care will be trafficked. 
even here in the U.S.? That is the U.S. statistic. That's insane. That is insane. So let's fast forward a little bit now to when you said that you, how did you meet Mulu? this little girl that I, you know, I've, I've seen pictures of you with her and you've referenced her already several times so far. She's the cutest. Um, She's adorable. I'll, I'll, I'll post some links to pictures whenever we post this. Yeah. Um, I was just walking around a village and, and she just kind of came up and stuck her little hand inside of mine. I looked down at her and had this insane sense of belonging and knew that she belonged to me and that I belonged to her. When you met her and when you, when she was in the car with you, when you saw these two blindfolded girls being sold for sex, uh, how how long ago was that? Like, what age were you at that point? Um, that was probably five years ago. Okay. Four or five years ago. It's so funny. Like, once you start a business, you just lose, like, all sense of time. Like, you have, oh, like, yeah, right. no concept. Is, like, like, and I've never been one that, like, could really track time. So I'm like, oh, it was the other day, which literally could mean it was, like, two days ago or, like, eight months ago. But to me, it's all the same. I'm like, oh, it was the other day. It's like my kids, my two daughters, not so much anymore now that they're six and five, but when they were five and four and probably four and three, they maybe still today, maybe still even recently they've said it where they, you know, they're starting to grasp time, but they basically said everything was yesterday. So if it was a year ago or 10 minutes ago, it was, it was yesterday and they'd always reference, oh no, no, they would say last, what did they say? Last evening, last night. Anyway, it was the same term for 10 minutes ago or a year ago. So um, I'm not comparing you to a child. I'm just saying, I know what that's like to be told, oh, yesterday. And I'm like, no, that was a year ago that we were at Mama's house or whatever. I just have no concept of time. And and I, starting like having and running and starting a business has made it a hundred times worse. I'm like, yeah, that was like three days ago. And it was like two years ago. So you came back from that trip and you said that you were determined to do something about it. So walk us through, because the people listening to this podcast are people that are probably, maybe they they haven't necessarily seen the same things you did five years ago, or they haven't necessarily gone through the same things, but they are primarily a group of people that want to give a damn. That's why they're listening to the podcast. These aren't, these aren't comfortable stories to listen to, you know, always. So it's not, they're not here just for the entertainment. They're here because they want to make a difference. Right. And so walk us through, you come back from that trip. A lot of people come back from trips like that and, you know, they'll send some money or they'll say, pour them, you know, (laughs) the famous like thoughts and prayers, but they won't do anything about it. They get back into their comfortable life so what what was different about you coming back? What what was kind of the process for you actually giving a damn about these two girls that you'll probably never see again, but this circumstance that you were met with? What was your process for getting something going? Yeah, so I think it really was just seeing that that and I think this is where we mess up, right? And and that the thoughts and prayers like we could do a whole podcast on that. Um lord. Um but I think that what what where we get like a little bit mixed up in is that we don't fix problems until they like beat on our back door. And so what I recognize is that someday I'd like to have children of my own and I want to create a world where little girls and little boys aren't being bought and sold prior to my children having to face that. So I don't want to live in a I want to I want to be proactive in our world's problems before they become a problem for me, right? So if I'm going to bring children into this world, it is my responsibility to create a world where little boys and little girls aren't bought and sold, 
right? But so often yeah. we don't want to yeah. do anything about it until it's already beat us in the face. So we don't become activists for for uh, the heroin epidemic until one of our kids overdoses. And we don't become activists for starving babies until we hold a starving baby. But but for me, it was this turn of event. Like if, if I'm going to bring a child into this world or adopt or foster a child, that, that is my responsibility to create this world where, where their bodies aren't commodities. No, that makes total sense. I'm, I'm 100% on board with that. So let's talk about two of your projects and you can you know go back and forth or talk about one at a time. Let's talk about legacy. Let's talk about 11th Candle. These are obviously your ways of fighting against this and of you know providing resources and help to the people being affected by sex trafficking, human trafficking, abuse, exploitation, addiction, so on and so forth in Ethiopia and in Columbus, Ohio, which I think is a beautiful thing because it would be equally amazing if you spent all of your time, you know, trying to rescue, you know, girls and boys out of sex trafficking in Ethiopia. That's an amazing thing. It needs to be done. But it seems like, and I don't even know the whole story, so I'm excited to get into it, but it seems like you also said, yeah, but that's also happening right in my backyard. And you've alluded to it already, but you didn't just ignore that and go for the more, you know, I would say in this kind of, this economy of giving back and social impact, social good, the sexier, for lack of a better term, the sexier thing is to, if you would have just said, no, 11th candle is for Ethiopia or, you know, any, any number of places over there where they needed our help. Right. And you said, yes. And it's a both. And I also live in Columbus. I'm here and people are suffering from it here. And so we're going to do both. And so I know I kind of I rambled on there for a second, but tell us about legacy and 11th candle. Yeah. So, um, it, I run a, both a nonprofit and a for-profit, um, which is insanity in case you're wondering what the definition of insanity is. Um, and so it's that one helps the other, right? And so our nonprofit provides the coaching, counseling, and employment opportunities for the women. And then the for-profit, 11th Candle Company, the social enterprise piece of it, actually provides the place for the women to have the employment opportunities. So it is definitely more expensive to employ a demographic of people who need trauma care because we have to pay for the trauma care. Um, it takes longer. The trainings, they're, they're less productive because they have just lived these horrible lives and it just takes a while to get them up on their feet. And so the, the nonprofit comes alongside and be in aids and, and so that we're able to help more people. So if we just ran it just strictly off a of social enterprise, we wouldn't be able to help as many people, but the nonprofit aids in being able to propel us forward and help people and help them through different stages of our program. Yeah, that makes complete sense. Let's talk about, because again, people listening, they're building things, projects, big and small. They're you know doing stuff with their next door neighbor and they're starting companies, right? Similar to what you're building and we need all of those things. And so talk a little bit about the struggles, right? I'm always reminding people that if they choose to live a damn filled life, it is, it is not going to be easy. Now, it's, it's, it's super fulfilling and there will be fun times and there'll be awesome times, you know, blah, blah, blah. But by and large, giving of yourself to other people, whether it's through starting a company or taking meals or putting together care packages for homeless people, like whatever you choose to do, it is going to be hard and uncomfortable because it is way easier and more comfortable to uh, watch Netflix for five hours every night and then like fall asleep on the couch. Like that's just, that's easier, right? And so talk about as you built, as you started Legacy and 11th Candle, uh, like you said, it's insanity to do both. I'm doing both right now as well. And I've done both 
in many different ways over the last decade. It is not easy. It is insanity. It is 70 hour weeks most of the time. And, and so, yeah, talk about some of the difficulties, some of the challenges you've met as you have chosen to actively give a damn in this way by starting a nonprofit and a social enterprise. I love to talk about failures and struggle first off. That's like one of my favorite things to talk about. Um, but I think that people look at what we've built, like me and you and people that build things like like we build, and they're like, oh, look at how easy that was. And I'm like, yeah, not at all, not at all. And so there have been many struggles. For example, I'm a nurse. I have no formal training in business, zero, meaning that I didn't even know how to do an Excel spreadsheet, right? They don't teach you that in nursing school. Um, meaning I surely didn't know what a profit and loss was. And when I started the company, I literally Googled the cheapest company to start and it was a candle company. Now, how's that panned out well for me? Yes, because it's a consumable, because it is a multi-billion dollar industry, because I mean, there's so many things like it's got every analogy that one could possibly want. And so that just, I just lucked out on that. But every single aspect of the company, I had to learn how to do from how do you open up an LLC? How do you do run an LLC? How do you file for 5013C? And so there have been so many struggles. And then top that on the people that we're trying to work with and help is a completely, it's a whole other ballpark of you think that you know how to help, how to do, right? It's justice and mercy, justice and mercy, right? And so mercy is reaching into the, it, it, it's, you know, it's a toxic river, right? Mercy is reaching in and pulling them out, putting them up on the side. Justice is walking up to figure out why they're going in to begin with. And so constantly having to be a just justice and mercy organization and a justice and mercy um, business on top of, all of the other just business issues and growth. So we're two and a half. We um, started with $250 and bootstrapped, have never owed a penny in debt. And now we are looking at being over a million dollar company this year. We're two and a half. That is substantial growth. Yeah. We've moved three times because we just continue to outgrow our buildings. We're, we just opened up our very first retail space, and we'll open up two more retail spaces before this holiday season. I mean, we are growing at – so all of that comes with trials, as well as just like the everyday stuff. And so about a year ago, if we're going to talk about failures, about a year ago, I completely burned out. I mean, like to the point where I was like, this is not well for me. I am not well. The company is not well. Like this is, this is, the ship is about to sink. And I had to go, I went into some, some pretty intense counseling and therapy and, and really begin to like work on my stuff and, and why I was making the decisions I was making based on my core beliefs. And, and you just get thrown into this big platform. Like I'm really well known around Columbus. And it's this really weird thing where like now all of a sudden people know you and they admire you. And like, what do you do with that? <laughs> right. Mm. You're like, I'm just doing my job. Like, why, why are you crying? Because you're meeting me. Like, and so it's this, it's this really weird kind of thing. And so I had to like really step back and begin to take care of myself. Well, I'm glad you learned that, um, even if it took, you know, burning out because that's such a huge, important piece Again, I'm glad you recovered from it. I think the goal is to probably prevent some of that. And I know that you couldn't have, right? Because like you just gave some pretty astonishing just statistics about yeah, how fast you guys have grown. And sometimes you just have to you just have to put in the work and you have to do it and there is no pulling back, right? But I'm glad that you know I I, I hope that now, well, you tell me, are you taking better care of yourself now oh, for sure. that you went through all of that? 
And here's the deal. It made me a better leader. It made our organization better. And now all of those self-care principles that I do, I now, like, like this requirements of our team, like everybody in our team from CEO, which is myself, to the women in our program, to our home office staff, everybody is, is in counseling. It is not an option. Like it is a requirement. Um, and our company pays for it. And so that was something, and we partnered with this amazing group here locally, Renew Wellness, and, and partnered with them saying, look, we want to integrate this into who we are as a company. We want to be set apart from every other social enterprise because we focus on trauma care. Um, and so, and having to learn that, it, it, it made our program better. So do I, do I wish that I could have learned that a little easier? Absolutely. Um, do I wish there wasn't so many tears and, and, and so many just gut-wrenching nights and, and, and trying to figure out what all this meant on top of, I mean, and when you start a company, you lose every aspect of you. If you're not careful, right? You, you lose every part of you. Nobody wanted to talk to me and still, it's still a struggle. Now people don't want to talk to you. They want to talk about your business. Right. And so yeah. you have to learn how to like separate those things out and you lose a ton of friendships because you're busy. And like, if people aren't in that same, uh, you know, area of life, they don't get it. And so your, your relationships change. And yeah. And so I think that what I learned from that was that if I'm not well, my business isn't well. And if my business isn't well, then what we set out to do isn't actually going to happen. Hey, Let's Give a Damn listeners, I'm thrilled to tell you about something I'll be doing over the next few weeks on this show with our friends at Scout Books. They're a company based out of Portland, Oregon, that makes custom notebooks that help you build your brand, promote your business, or style your event with two sizes of custom-made notebooks. You might have seen some of my own notebooks I made with them last year when they sponsored the show. They're back to sponsor more episodes of this show, but this time we're doing something a little different and I'm very excited about it. Over the next few weeks, we're going to be hearing short interviews with members from their team about the ways that Scout Books gives a damn, starting with Laura Whipple, the CEO and co-founder. Next week, she's going to be giving us a little insight into how Scout Books is able to incorporate their values into their business and their products right down to the dimension of their notebooks. I'm really excited to be featuring these stories on the show over the next few weeks. To learn more about Scout Books, check them out at scoutbooks.com. All the listeners of this show can get 15% off their order at Scout Books by using the code GIVEADAMN, all together in all caps, Give a damn during checkout at scoutbooks.com. Can't wait to share more with you. Okay, back to the show. Let's talk about the names for a second. I'm, I'm very interested in both why you chose Legacy for the for the nonprofit and why you chose 11th Candle for the social enterprise, the company. Can you speak to, and it might be a short explanation, but can you speak to the names? Yeah. So I was a hospice nurse when I was in nursing. Um, and so I, I had the, the privilege of watching hundreds of uh, thousands of people die. Um, I, I did crisis care. So the last seven to 10 days of life is, is what I worked in. And I, it was a, it was very interesting to me, not coming from any sort of legacy, right? So there was from my family standpoint up to myself, there's, there's going to be really no legacy left. And I remember I would watch all of these 
these people die and some people will leave these as a huge legacies where every person that walked in the room talked about how this person radically changed their life. And, and then I, I stood beside other bedsides where I was the only person in the room and that doesn't necessarily take away from that person's legacy. I just wasn't able to hear their legacy and, and maybe they didn't leave one. And so what I recognize is that we all long to leave this legacy. We all long to leave something when we leave that. And so that was what I was determined that we would create opportunities for people to be able to create these legacies and leave them. And then 11th um, is based off of the parable of Matthew 20 um, about the worker in the field. And so the, the story of the parable goes that, that there was uh, these foremen that would go into the markets and into the fifth hour and, and, and the, you know, into the 10th hour and even until the 11th hour, they went into the markets and they saw these people standing there idle. And they said, why are you not working? And he said, because nobody will hire us. And, the, and he said, okay, well then you too go work in the field. Um, and then when it came time to pay, um, the foreman paid the, the people that came to work last, the people that came to work in the 11th hour, he paid them first and he paid them 25 denarius. And then you got to the people that had been there since the beginning of the day and they were grumbling and griping and complaining and they said and, and he also paid them 25 dinars and he said like that's not fair we bore the labor of the day and the heat of the sun and we too get paid 25 dinars and he said did you not agree upon that and they said yeah but like these people got to be these people worked for for an hour and they got paid the same rate and he said so let this be that you learn that this is how the kingdom of heaven works that the first shall be last and the last shall be first and so I believe that even in the 11th hour that there's still hope and that the first shall be last and the last shall be first. Hmm. I like both of those explanations. That's awesome. Uh, thank you for sharing that. Specifically, your emphasis on helping, it seems like human trafficking, sex trafficking, abuse of that sort is important to you. Is that because of things that happened to you maybe when you were a child? Or like, do you think that that plays an important role of you wanting to make sure that doesn't happen to other people? Yeah. Can you, can you speak to that at all? Does that, does that make sense? Yeah. What I'm- yeah. I, I think that in the beginning, it, that kind of wasn't a thing for me. I was kind of like, well, because I didn't necessarily see myself. Right. And that's, a, that's an issue for a sure. lot of people that, that face this. Um, but what I think I'm actually more passionate about, we, I just have created labels around the, the people, the people and demographic that we're helping is I'm passionate about helping broken people. Right. So mm. I believe that if we can teach little girls a dream, they'll be the force that changes this world. But I believe more than that, that if we can teach broken women to dream like little girls again, it'll be a force that this world is yet to see. And so when when I'm saying that, people think that I'm talking about the women that are in our program, but in fact, I'm talking to the person I'm, that I'm saying this quote to, whether it's podcast listeners or an audience or, or people that are watching our video, and that we are all broken, man, woman, and, and that if we're able to begin to dream like little kids again with abandon, if we're able to harness this dream that is deep down that inside of us and only inside of us, if we can dream like that, it'll be a force that this world is yet to see. And so I'm passionate about creating places and creating spaces and creating environments that people can begin to dream like that. Mm, I love that. I love that. Thank you for sharing. Give me some data. Give me some numbers. Like what's happening because of the work that you're doing? I'd love to hear, yeah, kind of what effects. So, I mean, the the candle company looks amazing. I, I want to get some. Um, it, the really amazing work that's, that's happening. So what kind of what's happening as a result? Yeah, so we have a co-op of 16 women over in Ethiopia that we help support, and we do microfinancing. So those 16 women um, kind of created this this 
co-op um, and they, they run that in their own country. We don't run any of our programming over in Ethiopia. We come alongside and aid them. Um, it's naive of me to believe that I can go over there and tell them what's best for them. Um, and so we really kind of, we really kind of look at it as like a partnership. Um, and then we have 166 kids in a foster care program that we take care of over there. So I believe that institutionalizing is not best and that, and we were able to take kids off the street and out of orphanages and put them into full-time foster care in their own community, which raised the entire community up. So we were able to find these families that were willing to take in other kids, but they didn't have the money, didn't have the resources. And then we were able to come alongside and provide that supplemental income, which has helped the entire family. Here in the States, we've did, done two classes of women that have gone through, um, and we'll start our third class in August. Um, and so those are typically four women that come through um, at a time. We work with them through a transitional employment. So they're with us for about nine months um, and they either they either stay on with us um, or we get them placed into full-time employment outside of that. And so it's really interesting, like, like a number success sort of thing. Um, and, and sometimes you can be kind of come overwhelmed that like you're not helping enough. But what we really focus on is not necessarily how many women we've helped, but at what depth have we helped them. And so we've been able to see women get houses and cars and get their kids back out of foster care because they've been able to turn their life around. And we've seen them do, um, you know, be clean for two years. And we've watched them have these milestones that otherwise they would not be able to um, achieve without us coming alongside them. And so we really look at how deep can we go, not necessarily how, how wide we can go. And healing really happens in small groups of people, right? So we'll, we will never be a mass manufacturer. Now, will we open up 11th all over the United States if we have that opportunity? Absolutely. But it will always be small groups of people so that they can actually really heal. That's fantastic. Now, let's talk about the foster thing for a second, because fostering is pretty common. I mean, we need more of it here in the U.S., but it's pretty common here. When you went into that community in Ethiopia and kind of presented this work of you know fostering children, had they ever heard of that? That must have been so foreign to them. It was very foreign to them. And this is what I told them, um, that if James 127 was true for us in the United States, it was true for them that they're, I love care, it. That they're to care for the orphan and the widow. And so it, um, if it's true for us over here, it's true for them as well. And that um, it meant that we needed to foster that, that we needed to, that we needed to, to take that on as a community. Um, and so Ethiopia and Africa in general is more tribal um, and more community centered than really the United States is. However, this whole idea of like they, they 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 kind of understood it but they weren't really for sure like how to have like true ownership like now this is your child this kid is in your family and so once we were able to really kind of like help them understand that um it really changed the the way that the way that they cared for the for the kids i'm sure you've learned so much over the last five years more than that but you know from that moment five years ago when everything started to you know, you started to dream about what this thing could be. For everybody listening, can you give uh, one, two, three, just bits of advice, anything that comes to your mind, things that might be helpful for anyone listening as they hear your story and process through what it might mean for them? Give, yeah, just a few bits of advice, a few bits of wisdom that they can use as they finish listening to this podcast and figure out what it means for them and what they want to begin giving a damn about. Yeah. So I think that it's that you begin to run off of passion and passion is good, but passion doesn't always just get you all the way through. And so you have to be like so deeply rooted in your why. And I mean, 
deeply rooted in your why so that when you're ready to give up 15 times in the same day, do you remember why you started this? And so for me, when I'm ready to throw my hands up in the air and I'm ready to quit, I, I literally wrote a resignation letter to myself one time. I was like, I quit, but I don't even know who I quit to. Um, and so, but I was so convinced that every move in this world was worth it. Right. And so you have to be able to lead from a place of, from a place of, of both passion and just pure grit and, but be so deeply rooted in that why that there's nothing that can convince you otherwise of doing this work. Um, I think another thing is that it, that it is takes twice as much money and three times as long. So if your budget is $10,000, it's really actually 20. And if you think you're going to get it done in, in three months, it's really going to be nine. Um, and so just to set more realistic expectations, and really, I think that that a, a big key of it is actually taking care of yourself. And I just am such an advocate for that. And so people think, oh, self-care, like self-care Sunday, like let's get brunch and mimosas and manicures and pedicures. And, and that's what's going to make us do self-care. No, self-care is doing the really, really nitty gritty, like hard crap in your life, like morning routines and nighttime routines, yep. Yep. cutting toxicity out of your life. Like it's your job and, and making for sure that who you surround yourself with is, is a good representation of who you are and that you have a good moral compass and that you have values in your life and that you are doing this, that you're doing budgets. Like that stuff is not fun, but that's yeah. self care. Now is a bubble bath and a manicure and pedicure sometimes self care? Absolutely. But that is not the depth of self care. And so getting into therapy and, and, you know, people are like, well, I don't, I didn't have the same childhood that you have, so I don't need therapy. Yes, you do. We all need therapy. Um, and so I think that really getting into that and understanding that, that and understanding who you are so much at your core. So like a year ago, two years ago, five years ago, I kind of under, kind of sort of understood who Amber was, but now I like deeply know myself. Right. And so because I know myself so deeply, I know where my faults are. I know where my strengths are. Um, and, and I'm able to lead from a better place because I know who I am. All three of those were incredible. The first one and the last one were, I think, super helpful. The start, uh, the finding your why, um, start with why by Simon Sinek, a wonderful resource that everyone should read because it's so important. You will give up, you'll give up at, you know, mile three of, you know, 21.2 or 26.2 of the marathon, you know, if you don't know why you're doing it, if your why is not deeply established. And that last part about self-care, I'm so glad you said that because kind of self-care is a huge thing right now. Everybody's talking about it, but typically, um, I don't know what the percentage is, but I would say typically when I hear people talking about it on social media or even in a physical conversation and they talk about self-care, they go straight to what you just said. It's, not going out tonight to help somebody. It's staying home to watch Netflix or it's the bubble bath or the manicure, the buying buying the extra dress this month or whatever it may be. And again, those things may be what it takes to for you to relax, but it's more what you said. It's, it's therapy, it's counseling, it's getting your affairs in order. It's taking toxic relationships out of your life. Like use of budgeting, like that's a great, those are all, wonderful ways to take care of yourself because when those things get fixed if you take a bubble bath it doesn't fix a lot of shit actually or if you take you know if you get that new shirt like fine five seconds of pleasure because you've got something you wanted but those other things you mentioned truly will like fix things in your life they'll reorient your life and you will truly be taking care of yourself so that was a powerful little bit right there i'm glad you said it 
I say things like this all the time, but I think people, you know, might get sick and tired of me saying some of the same things over and over again. That I, I really appreciate that advice. So thanks for sharing that. Yeah. And I, I think too, that it's, it's finding your tribe of people and, and just linking arms with them so hard, right? Finding people that will look you dead in the eyes and tell you when you are wrong. Yeah. Those are the people you need in your life. You do not need yes people. Here's the deal. I have a whole bunch of people that are that would and could be and are yes people. Am I wonderful? Yes. Am I doing great? Yes. But then I have people in my life who are like, whoa, you really jacked that up. Hey, you were a complete asshole, right? Those are the people yeah. that you need yeah. staring you in the face. Because here's the deal. People are enamored by the work that I do and that you do and that people like us do and people that are listening to the podcast, they're enamored by those stuff that we do, which is great because it is admirable work and all of that. But those people will sink your ship because they'll they'll make you think that you're that you're walking on water and that you're perfect and that you're all these things. You need to surround yourself with people that will look you dead in the eyes and tell you all about yourself to the level of yourself. Okay, let's begin to land this plane. This has been a wonderful, wonderful time. This second to last question, this penultimate question is one that I ask every guest. It's truly important for me to ask it and for you to, for me to kind of hear what's the first thing on your mind when I, when I ask this question. So part of it's hypothetical, part of it's not. The not hypothetical part is that you, Amber Runyon, will die someday. Hopefully it's 50, 60, 70 years away, but you know, the... The death rate is 100% last time I checked still. And so um, you're going to die, but the hypothetical part is that out of all the people in your sphere of influence, I've been asked to give your eulogy. And so all the, I mean, all the p- people that you've helped over the years in Ethiopia and other places and tons of people from Columbus, Ohio, tons and tons of people are in this room to honor and mourn and celebrate your life. I'm up there. I'm about to give you a eulogy. What do you hope will come out of my mouth? That I left this world better than I came into it. Done. It's a great legacy. And that I was really funny. And that you were really funny? Yeah, make for sure you talk about that for sure. Okay. Um, no, I think that that's what we all long for. We all long to leave this legacy. We all long that when we die, that we're remembered, right? That's why we have tombstones. So that we're remembered, right? Somebody that was alive created a tombstone, right? It wasn't the dead person that created a tombstone. It was somebody that was alive because we want to be marked. We want to be remembered. And so if there's anything that I'm remembered for, it, I, I hope it's not all the things that I've done, but that it, that I left this world a better place than it was when I came and that and that it was the small little connections, right? I don't want, I would prefer that my work, my quote unquote work that I do not be what marks my funeral, but that it's story after story after story of people that I was able to have long relationships with and that I was able to love deeply and that I was able to, that they know me, right? I, I want it to be people that they were able to be like, you know what, Amber was this, or here's a funny story about Amber, or here's the time that, that she really came and, and loved me in a place that where I didn't feel lovable. Not all of the accolades that I did, not that I had a couple million dollar company or that I saved 166 kids. Those are great things too, but wouldn't we rather be known for, for, the, for the closeness and the intimacy of the relationships that we hold so dear? I a thousand percent agree with you. And I guess what I'm wondering out of that is if that's true, and I just want to hear your take on this. If that's true, that everybody wants a meaningful legacy is essentially what you said wrapped up. Then why are so many people, at least it doesn't seem like they're living that way. 
Like that's the hard thing for me. And that's why I, you know, that's why Let's Give a Damn exists partly or mainly is to help people think about their legacy, help people think about the brevity of life, um, not wasting their lives, doing meaningful things. But um, yeah, if that's true, then why are so many people seemingly kind of just floating into oblivion and not really paying attention to building meaningful things in life? Is that just my, my perception? No, we, we need a whole other podcast for this. But to break it down, it's because we have flipped we have flipped the way that we function on its head. So people were created to be loved and things were created to be used. But we mm-hmm. love things and we use people. And so we flipped it on its head. And so we don't have an understanding of that. And so when you would rather turn around to pick up your iPhone because you're going to go to dinner with your friends and you can't imagine not having that thing in your hand, and you value that over the person that you're sitting with at dinner. That's why, because we don't value those things anymore. We have this false sense of connectivity. We have this false sense of community. We have this false sense of belonging when really we don't belong anywhere. And we have no concept of that because we have this false sense. In any moment that I'm tired, or that I'm lonely, I can literally send off 15 text messages. And guess what? Somebody's going to respond back to me and then I'm no longer lonely. But the fact is that I'm still desperately lonely. I just yeah. have this false sense that I'm not lonely. And so people don't understand that that what they're experiencing is is just fake. But once you have experienced it, you know. And so then those fake things just don't satisfy you the quite the way that they used to. We will definitely need another podcast for that at some point. Maybe we'll do it in person next time, yeah, like we were sure. supposed to a month for ago. Sure. Um before we leave, where can people find you? What do you want people to go look for um, if they're gonna do something? What's what call to action coming out of this podcast? I'll give two call to action. Like if you want to be involved with 11th Canico, it's 11th It'll tell you everything there is to know about our for-profit nonprofit, and you can buy candles. This is what I really challenge people on is the way that we spend our money denotes what kind of world we want to live in. And so if you want to live in a world that, that, that helps women that have been through this, not live in this situation anymore, then buy a candle from us. Buying a candle literally changes somebody's life. If we don't sell candles, then we can't employ women. And so super easy call to action. When you're buying your gifts, buy your gifts from us or a company like us, right? Seek out and search out companies that you can on purpose support because you're already buying those things anyways. So that's call to action number one. Call to action number two is for for people to begin to look so deep down inside of themselves that they become uncomfortable. And when you get to that uncomfortable space that you stay in that uncomfortable space until you become comfortable with yourself, because if you can love and accept yourself, then that is the greatest gift that you can give to this world. The only gift that only you can give to this world is you. But what happens is we don't even know who we are, so we can't give it away. And so I challenge people to dig deep down and tie the side of themselves and then find themselves and then just freely give themselves away. Two amazing calls to action. Do you want people to find you online? And if so, where can they do so? 11thcandleco.com or any of the social media things, 11th Candleco. Perfect. Amber, this has been wonderful. Thank you so much for joining me. We'll have to do it again sometime. No, Bryce. Thanks, Nick, for having me. I hope you enjoyed getting to know Amber as much as I did, friends. We need more Ambers in the world. That is for damn sure. So much to learn from her. You can learn more about Amber and the fantastic work she's doing by visiting 11thcandleco.com. That's 11th spelled out, candleco.com. And by visiting them on social media at 11thcandleco. 
go buy a candle or 10 from them. Because when you do that, you're directly supporting the work Amber and her team are doing with women and children in Ethiopia and in Columbus, Ohio. Friends, as we wrap up here, a quick word. One of the small but very appreciated ways you can support what we're doing is by going to Apple Podcasts right now and leaving us a five-star rating and review. My friend Mary recently left this review for the podcast. Love what this podcast is about. It's so refreshing to hear the inspiring but often unseen and unappreciated acts of those who are using what they have to do, give, and love. We need more of this. Thanks so much, Mary. Wonderful review. You can go leave your own five-star rating and review by searching for our podcast on the interwebs or by searching for it in the Apple Podcast app. This podcast, as always, is brought to you by me, creator and host, and by Chad. I couldn't do any of this without the incredible editing and production skills Chad brings to the team. Don't forget to head to scoutbooks.com and use the code GIVEADAM, all caps, all together, to get 15% off your order. I love y'all so much, not just because you listened all the way to the very bitter end, but because I believe our love for each other and our commitment to giving a damn is truly making a difference in the world. So let's keep going. Bye for now. Mm -hmm.